So there's something about me that uh, I have to admit to you this morning, and that is I don't like rules at all. It's, there we go. I'm glad, glad someone's with me here. Don't like rules. I don't like when people say, you must do this, you must do this, you can't do this, because there's something within me. The Apostle Paul called it would be sin within me, but I don't know what it is, but something within me makes me want to just like push the boundaries, push the rules a little bit. Uh, I don't like it when someone micromanages me either. If someone micromanages me, I just like, I just don't want to do anything. But if you give me freedom, then I will produce uh, for you. And so if you come to me with a bunch of do's and don'ts and rules, um, I'm probably not gonna like live by them very much and I may actually break rules uh, uh, but I was uh, I was looking on the internet this week and uh, I saw this guy had posted something on Facebook and uh, it was something that he had posted a couple of years ago uh, and it was uh, in re- regarding a Christmas present that he got from his girlfriend at the time now his girlfriend had given him a video game called Call of Duty and uh, uh, she wrapped it up nicely and when she gave the gift, in the gift there was a note. It was like a little memo and in there, there was uh, a list of rules to go along with the game. These weren't rules to play the game, these were rules relationship rules in regards to the game. And so this is what it says. Her name, who gave the gift, her name was Ashley Davidson. And uh, his name was Blake Perry. And uh, this is what uh, she, she said. She said she was from the University of Oklahoma. And she drew up a contract for the rules of the game. And uh, these were the rules. And we've actually got them on the screen. And the first rule is this. If, you, if I call, you must pause the game and talk to me with full attention. Second rule was no starting another match if we are planning to hang out or ask or I ask to hang out. Number three, you must ask if it is okay, if it is okay for you to play while I'm over your house. Make sure you have something to, make sure I have something to do while you are in battle. Number four, you must reply to a text no longer than 11 minutes. Number five, do not forget me, uh, do, do not forget to give me as much attention. So that was the rules. On top of that, Blake had to dis- sign a disclaimer. And the disclaimer read this I, Blake Perry, will follow these rules and in return I will be enjoying my new game and loving my girlfriend at the same time. But if I do not follow these rules, my girlfriend, Ashley uh, Davidson, can take this game away from me any time for the rest of my life. So I will follow these rules and not forget about my girlfriend. I'll be honest, she was pretty smart because... Being a guy, I know when there's a video game around, it's like we become like zombies in front of those video games, right? But he had to live by these rules. And I thought those weren't bad rules. Some of them were a little like, okay, I'll break these rules. But they weren't that bad. But then there was a guy on Twitter, and he posted some rules on Twitter that his girlfriend had given him. Now, these weren't in regards to a video game. This was just in regards to their relationship. Now, take a look at these rules that this girl gave this guy. First one is this, you are not to have a single girl's phone number. You are not to follow them on any social media, including Instagram, Snapchat, and Twitter. You are not to hang out with Keegan, 
including his house or anywhere in public. Obviously, he's his friend. You are not to hang out with your friends more than two times a week. You are not to look at a single girl. If girls come up to you at any place or any time, you are to walk away. Mo is not to hang out with us every time we hang out. Obviously, Mo is another of his friends. You are not to get mad about me about a single thing ever again. <laughs> you are not to bring up Tyler, Noah, Devon, or Josh ever again. Obviously, they were ex-boyfriends. You are not allowed to drink unless I am with you. I am allowed to do a phone check whenever I please. If we move in, you are never, there are never to be girls at our house. If we move in together, your friends will rarely be allowed over. If I catch you around girls, I kill you. If you, you are not to ditch me for your friends. Austin does not control when I hang out with you. Austin obviously is another friend. We are to go on a legit date once every two weeks at least. I love this one. If I say jump, you say, how high, princess? You are to make sure you tell me you love me at least once a day. So I know you're not messing around. And then the last one, she's really, she's really fierce. You are to never take longer than 10 minutes to text me back. Beats the 11 minutes from the other girl. This is my advice to those girls, to, to those guys. Stay away from those girls, right? I mean, if that's the start of the relationship, I dread to think what it's going to be continually on. So they have these rules for these relationships, and I'm sure those guys entered into joyful relationships. I'm sure they were happy when they woke up each day and they realized those were their girlfriends, right? But we all understand why we have rules. Rules are there to guide us. Rules are there to make sure that we don't go off track. In fact, rules are supposed to give us a more joyful life. Uh, and, and, and they keep us within the boundaries of, of life. But what tends to happen is that rules tend to start to control us. And this is what we start to think. If we stay within the rules, then everything is okay. Life is good. If we stray outside the rules, we tend to feel guilty. Uh, and we don't feel too good about ourselves. But the problem with a lot of rules is this. Rules often dictate more about what we can't do than what we can do. So I hear a lot of people talking about Christianity and following Jesus and even coming to church. Well, I don't want to go to church because that means I can't do that stuff that I want to do. And so they talk about more what they can't do instead of what they can do. And that's what happens with rules. And this is exactly what happened in the New Testament, in the New Testament church. In the early church, what the New Testament writes about, what happened is a lot of different rules started coming into the church that necessarily, weren't necessarily godly rules. And people started to live by these rules, and some people started to lose their joy in Jesus Christ and their joy in following this, this journey of faith for Christ. And what happened is... Christianity is basically an offshoot of Judaism. It's a, it, it, it evolved out of Judaism. So in Judaism, there is something called the covenant or the law of God. And what it is, God gave this list of rules. And if you can abide by these list of rules, then you can find righteousness in God. 
And so what happened, Jesus came, when Jesus came to the earth and Jesus lived a sinless life and Jesus died a, a terrible death on a cross and Jesus rose again, what Jesus was doing in that moment was Jesus was fulfilling the old law. Jesus was taking this thing called the old covenant or the covenant, the law, and Jesus was fulfilling it. See, there there had to be someone who could actually obey the law and Jesus was the only man who could fully obey the law. And Matthew chapter 5, verses 17 to 21, Jesus tells us, I have come to fulfill the law. So there was these old covenants and uh, what the Jews lived by is a list of rules of do's and don'ts, things they must do, things they mustn't do to make them righteous with God. And Jesus came and fulfilled that list of do's and don'ts. That's what Jesus did. But what happened for a lot of Jews is they grow up in this mindset of we must do this, 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 and this. And if we stay within the rules, if we play by the rules, then we're okay and we're righteous before God. But when Jesus came to fulfill the law, The old covenant, which means the old promise that God gave to man, was abolished. It had gone. And now Jesus came, and he came and brought a new covenant. When we take communion, we talk about uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he talks about the, the new covenant when he drinks the cup of wine. And this new covenant is, is, is a new promise between God and man. And the new promise is, is, is this, that Jesus is the way to God. And if you follow Jesus and make Jesus Lord of your life, then you will find righteousness with God. So it's different. The old law was all this list of do's and don'ts. You must follow these things to be righteous with God. Now the new covenant is Jesus has already made you righteous with God. And so if you accept Jesus and make him Lord of your life, then you will find righteousness with God. That's the difference between these two covenants. The problem with the new covenant, as opposed to the old covenant, is... The old covenant had a list of rules. The new covenant is void of rules. There are actually no rules in this new covenant. And those who choose to live by this new covenant, meaning making Jesus Lord of our lives, those who choose to live it, they live in freedom of rules. There is freedom for those who live in Jesus Christ. And this is a problem for many people. Because many people want to measure their righteousness. And they want to measure other people's righteousness. And they want to compare themselves with other people. Well, am I more righteous than that person? And with the old covenant, we could do that. Well, you broke that law, that law, that law, that law. So you're not that righteous. I only broke this law, so I'm pretty good. But in the new covenant, there's no way of measuring it. See, the rules are what measured our righteousness in the old covenant. But in the new covenant, our measurement is faith. Rules was the old one. Faith is the new one. Now, the problem with this for so many people is we do not have a tangible set list of rules to compare our faith. If our faith is good or our faith is bad. And this is a huge problem for so many people because they want to measure their faith. The Bible tells us only God really measures our faith. It's only between us and God we know how righteous we are. And God knows how righteous we are. He measures us not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. And only those who are mature enough to live a life of freedom and can live in a life of freedom of those who find the joy there is in Jesus Christ. And so 
Let us open the book of Philippians. We've been going through the book of Philippians through this life series. We've got to chapter number three. And let's open chapter number three. And this is what the Apostle Paul, writing to a church in, in the city of Philippi, he says this in verse one. Whatever happens, my dear brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. I never get tired of telling you these things. And I do it to safeguard your faith. Rejoice in the Lord. This is Paul's theme throughout this book of Philippians. This this letter that he wrote to a collection of churches in the city of Philippi. His theme is this, rejoice in Jesus Christ. Because you have Jesus Christ, you can have joy and you can access joy. So rejoice in that. Paul is telling us throughout this book that joy is found in freedom, not in bondage and slavery. Joy is found in the new covenant of freedom in Christ, not in the old covenant where you are bound by a list of rules of do's and don'ts. Now, many of you, you know, who have successful relationships, I'll put it, you know those relationships are not based on whether you have a list of rules like those girls gave those guys. You know your relationship is based on faith and trust and the best relationships, whether they're marriage relationships or friend relationships, the best relationships are based on faith and trust. And that is exactly what Jesus came to do. So your relationship with God is not based on rules, it's based on faith and trust. But the problem for so many people is this, they confuse freedom with permission. They confuse freedom with permission. And so this is what happens to a lot of people in Christianity. You have the section that still want to keep the rules and do's and don'ts. And, and, and if you don't wear a hat in church and you wear ripped jeans, then you're going to hell, right? That's the, that's the real strict version. And trust me, I've heard it. I wore jeans once when I was a kid to a prayer meeting. My grandfather turned white. I mean, it was just like, what are you doing? What's happened to my grandson? Right? So that's the list of rules and do's and don'ts. Then you have these people on the other side that believe because we have freedom in Christ, because we have what we call grace, God forgives us. We can do whatever we want. But the problem is freedom is not permission. We're not permitted to do whatever we want. We just have freedom in Christ. Because what happens, a lot of the things that we try to do or we do in life will actually bring us back into bondage and take away our freedom. I'll give you an example. Substance abuse, right? So when you read the Bible, you'll never find in the Bible someone telling you that you can't drink alcohol, you can't smoke a cigarette, or you can't take drugs, right? You'll never find that in the Bible. The only thing you'll find in the Bible is, you know, don't get drunk. Don't, 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 don't become unaware of yourself. Don't, don't let something control your body. That's the only thing you, you'll find in the Bible. But the problem is, we know, as good people, taking drugs is not a good idea, right? Because this is what happens when you take drugs, is it starts to take control of your body control of your life. And instead of having freedom in this life, if you start to take drugs, then you start to slip back into this problem of being dependent on those drugs. You became a slave to those drugs. And you just have to look at at, at the statistics here in Harford County for all, all the overdoses that happened last year and this year from young people 
who have become addicted to drugs. They become a slave to it. So the Bible doesn't say you can't do this. It doesn't have a list of rules or or do's and don'ts in the New Testament. But we know if you take that, you're going to lose your freedom because you're going to be back in bondage. So let's never forget, for, let, let's, let's never confuse freedom for, for permission to do whatever we want. And, and that's the problem with a lot of people. Just because we can doesn't mean we should. But Paul is saying, no, this is what we should do. We should rejoice in Christ. We should find joy in Christ. So let's continue reading in verse 2. Philippians 3 verse 2, he says this. So, watch out for those dogs. Those people who do evil. Those mutilators who say you must be circumcised to be saved. So now Paul is saying rejoice in Christ, but hold on. You need to watch out for a group of people. Paul calls them dogs. Evil people. See, Philippi was a Roman city, and the majority of the people in the Roman, in, in, the, in the church of Philippi were what we call Gentiles. Gentiles were just non-Jews, people who were not Jewish blood, who were not born as Jews, weren't converted to Jews. They were Gentiles. They were people who were not Jewish. Now, as Christianity was an offshoot of Judaism, the Jews still believed the old covenant but the Christians now believe the old covenant was fulfilled by Jesus. Jesus brought this new, co- this new proven, uh, promise, this new covenant. Now they are the Christians. Because it was an offshoot of Judaism, and it was a new faith that had risen at this time, a lot of the teachers and a lot of the missionaries were Jewish people because the Jews were the first converts. A lot of the Jews were the first converts. And so a lot of these people who were teaching and preaching and they, they went out from Jerusalem and they were out from Judea and they, they went into Europe and to different places and they started to preach about Jesus and that the old is gone and the new has come. But they still had this Jewish mindset of we still got these rules we got to follow because that was ingrained in their culture to follow these rules. They found it hard to shake the rule book or throw the rule book away. And so there was many who were coming and saying, okay, you can have Jesus. But if you're a Gentile, you need to get circumcised. Now, circumcision was the linchpin of the old covenant. It represented being separated by God. It, It represented if you were circumcised, you were part of the family of God. You were part of the people of God. And these Jewish teachers were saying, even though you're Christians and we're now allowing Gentiles to enter into this faith in God, you still have to be circumcised. The problem was what they didn't realize is that the old had gone. Circumcision was part of the old. It wasn't needed anymore. Physical circumcision was void and, and, and it didn't have any spiritual purpose. Now the Holy Spirit has come and performed what they call a spiritual circumcision, separated us by God. Peter calls us a, a, a people who are separated, a chosen people, a peculiar people, people who, who, who are God's people. But these people, these Jewish teachers, or these Christians who were from a Jewish background, they were saying, no, you must must be circumcised. So Paul comes along, and Paul's like, this isn't right. So this is what Paul calls these guys. Paul says to them, you are dogs. You are dogs. 
Now, to put this in context for a moment, dogs in the old covenant, in the old law, were unclean animals. Jews didn't have dogs as pets. They may have them as like working on a farm or something, but you, you, know, you didn't snuggle up in bed with a dog. They were unclean animals. And so what Paul is telling these people by calling them dogs, he is saying, you are unclean. And in the old covenant, if you were unclean, it meant you had broken the rule book and now you were separated from God and you needed to perform something, a a sacrifice to get right with God. You were unclean. And this is what Paul is telling these teachers. He's saying that they're dogs. They're unclean. They're breaking the rule book. He's speaking in their language. To call a Jew a dog was an insult. Paul goes on to say that if you are Gentiles and you are believing this teaching that you must be circumcised, then all you are doing is mutilating yourself. You're hurting yourself. And let me be honest. There is no guy in this world who wants anyone to come nearer with him with a pair of scissors. I mean, it's just it's just not going to happen, right? You just don't want that to happen. And Paul is saying, if, if you're believing this, you're just mutilating yourself. There is no spiritual purpose in this at all. So then Paul gives an argument of why he believes this. So it's Philippians 3, verse 3 to 11. He says this. He says, For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. It's not a spiritual, it's not a physical act, it's a spiritual act. We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human efforts. Though I could have confidence in my own efforts, if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised, Paul says, when I was eight days old. I am a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who, dis- to, who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I, hardly put, that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counted it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, I know count on the old covenant, he's saying, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. That's the new covenant. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection of the dead. So Paul uses himself as an example. He says, look, I'm all these things. I'm Jewish. I'm circumcised. I, I, I was following the law. I, 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 I did no wrong according to the Jewish rule book. There was not a rule I broke. 
But this is what he's saying. Now I've discovered Jesus. I've realized that the rule book is worthless. It's nothing. I have freedom in Jesus Christ. And that means everything to me. This is what Paul is saying. It is not about what I can do. It's always and only about what Christ has done and will continue to do through me. And let me tell you this morning, your faith is about nothing that you can do. It's all about what Christ has done and will continue to do through you. I love what Paul says in this little passage. He says, all this is garbage, right? This translation, New Living Translation I read from, it's garbage. But actually, if you read the original Greek, it's a much harsher word than garbage. Actually, some people said it could have been a cuss word at the time. I mean, it could have been like that harsh that Paul was almost cussing at the time. I'll give you an example. It was a word that I would not use myself, but it's a word that could be like a cuss word for dog poop. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying that stuff is dog poop. Remember he called them dogs? Saying they're dogs and the stuff they're teaching is just their waste. It's dog poop. It's worthless. It's messing you up and it's worthless. See, Paul is showing the Philippians that we live because of Christ. Our righteousness comes from Christ and Christ alone, not by keeping a list of rules of do's or don'ts. So with that, Paul is saying now, okay, now this is how we live life. Verse 12. He says, I don't mean to say I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection. But I press on to possess the perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, Paul says, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. This is what Paul is saying. Now you discover you have freedom in Christ. It's not about the rules. It's about freedom in Christ. Now with that freedom, this is what you need to do. You need to press on. You need to keep running. You, you, you need to keep moving. In fact, you need to run unhindered. You don't have the hindrance of, oh, am I right with God? Am I not right with God? Does God love me? Does God not love me? Am I going to heaven or not? You don't have those hindrances anymore. You can run because you have the freedom of Christ. He says, don't get tied up with the do's and don'ts of this world, but instead focus on Jesus. Focus on Jesus. It is he who will perfect you. It is he who will make you righteous. It is he who will change you. It is he who will mold you. It, will, it is he who will show you the right way and the right path to go. He's saying, don't turn back for there's a prize ahead. Don't turn back for there's a prize ahead. Keep running. Keep moving. And I tell you, in your faith, it's not about what we do and don't do that makes us right with God. It's where our faith is that makes us right with God. And if your faith is in Jesus, then keep looking at Jesus and keep moving and keep pressing forward. See, 
I grew up in a, a church that there was a lot of what we call legalistic things. And what we mean by legalistic things is we use it as such a bad term of, we had a rule book. It wasn't written or put anywhere, but everybody knew the rule book. There were certain things you could and couldn't do. And basically what it was, where the rule book came from, it's, it's somebody was pressing forward for Jesus. And as they were pressing forward for Jesus, they were realizing there was things in their life that, that, that was taking away their freedom in Christ. And it was bringing them back in bondage and bringing them back in slavery. And, 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 it, and so they decided, let me get away that stuff out of my life and let me move on. But what happened is because they started getting convicted, they thought everybody else needed to follow their rules as well. And that's where legalism comes from. It wasn't a bad thing because it probably started with someone trying to press forward for Jesus. But when we start to impose our convictions on other people, that's when we get into trouble. And that's where legalism happens. And so in a, in, in, growing up, there was a way to be a Christian. And you see it in a lot of churches today. And there's a pathway to become a, a Christian. And the further along the path, the more holy and righteous you become. And this is the pathway that I saw growing up. The first one is this. Say the sinner's prayer. Say the sinner's prayer. It's funny because the sinner's prayer is actually not in the New Testament. But we'll talk about that a little in a couple of weeks when we start our Upside Down series. But we talk about say the sinner's prayer. Then the second thing on the pathway to becoming a holier Christian was this. Stop doing everything considered unholy. Stop doing everything considered unholy. So we had a rule book. This is what's holy. This is what's not holy. Stop doing everything that's considered unholy. Then after you've done that, then you can get baptized. And we put baptism up on this level of, wow, you get baptized now that's it. You are a more holy Christian because you've got some water on you. Even though it's important, we believe in baptism. Let me just tell you, baptism does not mean salvation. It does not mean salvation. It's just an outward declaration of what God has already done inside you. But after doing everything considered on, uh, stop doing everything considered unholy, we got baptized. And then we go through a discipleship class. And normally it was like a four-week class, and then, you know, after that, then we could maybe join a small group, because those in small group are more holy than those who aren't in small group. So if you're not part of a small group, join a small group, right? And we believe in small groups, but we're not going to put a gun to your head if you don't want to be part of a small group. There's nothing in the Bible that says you have to be part of a small group. We just believe in community. We believe in spiritual conversations. We believe in getting together and helping and praying for each other. But we believed if you weren't part of a small group, then you weren't holy. Then after being part of a small group, then we volunteered in ministry. You have to volunteer. If you are not outside greeting when it's minus 10, then you are not holy enough, right? Even though my hat goes off to all our greeters. I love you guys. Then after volunteering in ministry, then you pay your tithes. And the more tithes you pay and the more money you pay, the more holy you become. And don't get me wrong, the church has to have money to survive. It surprises me how much it takes to actually run a church. But you've got freedom. 
Let me just say, no one's putting a gun to your head saying you have to give 10%. And if they ever did, run, 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 run away. Because they're dogs trying to keep you by the letter of the law. We have freedom in Christ. Then after that, after we pay our tithes, now we can lead a class. Couldn't do it before, but now we've paid our dues. Let's lead a class. Then after we lead a class, now we can become a leader at a church. And people are going to look at us and like, oh, you're a leader, you know. And then after we become a leader, then we take some theology classes to make sure what we're teaching is actually theologically correct. And then after we take some theology classes, then we can be invited and we can be voted on to become a deacon or an elder in the church or serve on a board. Because now you can have some say in what goes on in that church. Then if you get to a certain level, then you go to seminary. And if you go to seminary, now you know everything there is to know about the Bible and whatever you say, we have to take as gospel. And then the most holy of holy of holy people become pastors. And for those of you who know me, no, that is not true. But that was the pathway for us when we were, when we were growing up. And this was the goal. The goal was to become clean and, and morally good and a good Christian. But the goal is not to get clean and become morally good and a socially good Christian. That is not the goal of Jesus Christ. Because Christ has already made you clean through his blood. The goal is Christ and to know Christ. That is the goal. So whether you're part of a small group or you volunteer in a ministry or you lead a class or, you know, you have or haven't been baptized, the goal is Christ. It's not to go along the path and become a more holy Christian. So with that being said, this is what Paul says, and very quickly, and this is what we'll close with. Paul says in Philippians 15 to the end of the chapter, he says, Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, uh, if you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you. But we must hold on to the progress we have already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are real enemies of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives. We are eagerly, eagerly awaiting for his return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So Paul uses this moment and he says, okay, we may disagree on a whole lot of stuff, but let's agree on this one thing. Let's bring some unity together. And, the, and what we can agree on in this, we have freedom in Christ. That is what we can agree on. We have freedom in Christ. We may have some theological differences here and there, and that's okay. But let's come together and agree on this. We have freedom in Christ. The rule book is gone. Now we have freedom in Jesus Christ. And then Paul says this. Now become like me. Become like me. Copy what I do. And every time Paul, he says this a few times throughout his letters. And every time I used to read this and I used to think, who does Paul think he is? 
Like, does he think he's like that great that everyone should copy him and be like him? And then I started to discover what the actual word disciple means in the Greek culture that they were in. And the Greek culture that they, they're in, because here in, 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 in our church life, we say we are a disciple of Jesus. I don't need to follow anyone else. I just need to be a disciple of Jesus. But in the Greek culture, a disciple was defined as this. Someone who was physically living and present in that person's life. So if you follow the teachings of Plato, but you did not live when Plato lived, then you were not a disciple of Plato. You were a disciple of somebody else who followed the teachings of Plato. And the early Christians, they grew, they were in this Greek culture. Now, we theologically know Jesus is with us, right? His presence is with us. But he's not physically here as a person, right? As a physical person, you know, like have a body. The presence of Jesus is here. For the early Christians, this was tough. How can I be a disciple of Jesus? But Jesus isn't here. So what the early church adopted, they adopted this change with discipleship, and they believed discipleship, I follow somebody who follows the spiritual teachings of Jesus. And so what Paul is saying, he's saying, don't be a disciple of those people who are teaching you must have circumcision. Be a disciple of me because I am following the ways of Christ. And that's what Paul is saying. He's saying those people who are preaching about circumcision and the rule book, those people, if you become disciples of them, they will say they're leading you to Christ, but in fact, they're leading you away from Christ. They care more about what is right or wrong, but you have a higher purpose. Your purpose is this, Paul says, you are a citizen of heaven. A citizen of heaven. So, don't worry about the rule list. Don't worry about the rule book. For when you press on, towards Jesus, Jesus shapes you. My grandmother came to know Jesus Christ as her Lord and Savior at the age of 18. Before that, she, she was never a real bad girl, but she used to drink and smoke and go to the movie theater. And she would often tell me, Alexander, because they all call me Alexander, Alexander, when I got saved, when I found Jesus, and Jesus came and made his home in my heart, she says, I had no desire anymore to drink, to smoke, to go to the movie theater. She found freedom in Christ. She says, I just didn't want to do that stuff anymore. But what I found in Jesus was so much more joyful and better. She found freedom in Christ. But it's funny because every time she would tell me that would be when I would, she would ask me, where are you going? And I says, I'm going to the movie theater. She found freedom in Christ, but she was using that freedom then to go back to the rule book and say, well, you can't do that. I lost the desire to go there. I can't do that. That's not freedom in Christ. Freedom in Christ is understanding. Yeah, we don't have a rule book anymore. But I'm going to press on towards Jesus. 
I'm going to press on towards Jesus and let Jesus shape me. See, if you truly want to be alive to this life, if you want to experience overwhelming joy, it's not found in the rule book of religion. It's found in the freedom of Christ. Don't let anyone tell you, you can't, you have to do this. If you're a Christian, you have to do this. Don't let anyone tell you because that's the rule book. It's freedom in Christ. But as Christ shapes you, what happens is you become more and more like Christ. It starts to work within you. Freedom is gained when we press towards Christ. How do we do this? Paul says we forget what's behind and we look forward to what's ahead. So this is what I want us to do as we close today. I want you to close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, before we pray, I want you to imagine. Imagine what freedom looks like for you. We don't often do stuff like this at Generation Church. But I want you to start to see for yourself If I follow Christ, what does that life look like? So let me give you some examples today. There are some of you today, you are so bound by your past, you just can't get away from your past mistakes and your past regrets. Just imagine for a moment what your life would be like if you never had those regrets and mistakes. There's some of you here today. You may be controlled by something. That something could be a substance. That something could be a food. That something could be a drink. That something could be feelings, sexual feelings. That feeling, that thing could be something like pornography or something. But it's controlling your life. Just imagine for the moment what life would be like if that didn't control you anymore. give you another example some of you you're bound by your emotions you're bound by your feelings your hurts just imagine for a moment if you didn't react when someone hurt your feelings Or if your emotions didn't get the better of you. Maybe you're here today and you are in bondage because of financial decisions that you've made. And maybe you've got debts. Or maybe you can't stop spending. And some behaviors when it comes to finances. And you are not free because of those decisions. Just imagine for a moment what life would be like if you were financially free. 
See, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. That is freedom in Christ. And some of us, we will experience the freedom here on this earth. Others, we just have to press on towards the prize and we'll feel that freedom in heaven. But that is what Christ has come to bring. He's come to bring freedom into your life. Some of you, you may be so bound by the rule book. But the old is gone, the new has come. And it's now by faith that our righteousness is measured, not by the rules. So as you imagine today, I'm going to pray. And the reason I say imagine is because by seeing what could be helps us to press on. Helps us to keep running. Helps us to go for the prize. So as you imagine today, I'm going to pray. And as I pray... I'm praying that today we will find freedom in Jesus. We will understand our freedom there is in Him. And we will pursue Him more than we've ever pursued Him before. So Father God, today we thank You.